everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. So glad to have you on. My name is Dave Stovall, and I'm the host of this wonderful podcast. Today we have Curtis Sargent. He's going to let us know about his new book, The Only One. This book is all about how to grow our relationship to be more real and intimate with God. And if you're like me, that is something that we probably all long for, whether you already feel close to him right now or whether you feel far away. And we'll probably always long for more intimacy in our relationship with God this side of heaven, or at least we should. So before we jump into this episode, I want to remind you about the forum coming up in a couple of weeks, November 4th and 5th. You can use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to receive 50% off of your purchase price. So make sure you take advantage of that. I would love to see you there. And if you come, make sure you say hello to me. I'll be up there leading worship. I would absolutely love to hear from some of the podcast listeners. I know you're out there. All right, let's jump in and let's hear Curtis's heart behind the book, The Only One. My name's Curtis Sargent, and I would like to share with you about a book that I've written called The Only One, Living Fully In, By, and For God. Um, This is a book that is uh, really about how we can come to have a more intimate relationship with God. But it's also about how we can do that in a way that blesses others as well. And this book is, of course, available on Amazon in several formats. But if you are one who likes electronic books like I do, you can get the electronic versions available um, for free by going to either the publisher's website and the publisher is William Carey Library, or the easier way might be to go to theonlyonebook.com and it will give you a code and a link to the publisher's site where you can download the book for free. So the reason I wrote the book was to help communicate some principles that I learned while serving overseas in terms of how to be a a better disciple and how to make disciples more effectively. And these are insights that I never would have come to if I had not been, you know, sort of serving in a context that was different from the context I had been living and serving in previously. And so I wanted to make these insights available to others who might not have the opportunity to serve where I was serving. So I was serving specifically among an unreached, unengaged people group in a highly restricted access nation. And so out of desperation, I had to use different uh, approaches 
than I had been previously familiar with. And since most people don't have the opportunity to serve in that sort of environment, it's much less likely that they would come to understand those aspects of disciple making. So really, um, that was sort of my motivation. So I wrote it with sort of the Western and more particularly North American church audience in mind. And while it does, um, you know, make specific suggestions for how to make disciples effectively, it doesn't primarily look at how it's more effective in terms of scale or quantity, although um, that's definitely the case, but rather it looks at it from the perspective of how you can make better quality disciples and how you can be a higher quality disciple. Um, in terms of how the book is structured, it really has three major parts. The first major part looks at um, individual aspects of living this kind of a life that's fully in, by, and for Christ. And then the second third uh, relates to corporate aspects of how we can make disciples like this. And then the final third looks at some specific concepts and tools that can be used in making this type of disciple. So that's kind of generally how the book is structured. Um, you'll notice one unusual thing about the book as soon as you, you know, open the cover, because the table of contents is structured in a way that I haven't previously seen anyone use. Essentially, what uh, it does is for each chapter of the book, it has a column or five columns, actually, five columns of checkboxes out to the right from the um, contents um, description, you know, of the chapters. So for, you read the title of chapter one, and then it has these five checkboxes. And the idea is that you can check off the different columns once you complete a certain way that you have processed the contents of that chapter. So the first box you can check if you've read the chapter and either thought or discussed with others through the discussion questions. The second column you can check off once you have actually applied the contents of that chapter to your own life. The third column you can check off if you have taught someone else the contents of that chapter. The fourth column you can check off when that person hasn't just heard it, but they're applying it, right? They're actually practicing the contents of the book or that chapter. And then finally, the fifth one, when the person that you taught is teaching someone else the contents 
then they can check off that. In other words, um, it's setting up a pattern that you you haven't really, you know, effectively engaged the contents if you have not applied them and shared them with others who are sharing them with others. And um, that's one of the many principles covered in the book is that we, um, in a sense, steward the insights that God gives us in this fashion. So with that overview in mind, um, first, the book opens with an introduction to what I call theopraxy. So theopraxy essentially is this life lived in, by, and for God a life solely focused on him. And so I'm drawing a distinction between theopraxy and say orthodoxy. So um, many times in the church, we spend a lot of time and effort and energy ensuring that there's orthodoxy. So there's right you know, right teaching, right understanding, right doctrine within, you know, the church and the disciples in the church. That's great. That's important. But theopraxy um, is a broader concept. First of all, um, typically, uh, if we're going to go beyond paying attention to orthodoxy, we pay attention to orthopraxy. So right practice, which again is, is good. Right practice is important. But it's possible to do right practice but have the wrong motive or be seeking to do it in our own strength, our own power. So theopraxy includes all of these aspects. It's not all only right belief and right practice, but for the right reasons by God's power. So, you know, breaking the word down, it's kind of like God practice. <laughs> um, so, or God living, you know. And so this is the concept around which the, the book is, you know, structured in a sense. So then the first six chapters are related to individual aspects of theopraxy. So as an individual, as a, you know, at the personal level, what's involved in that? So, chapter one is called an all-encompassing way of life. And so, it's a pretty simple concept. I'm not personally a gambler, but I think all of us are familiar with the concept in gambling. Like, you know, if people are, are uh, gambling and you see somebody go all in 
right? So all of their resources, they bet. And that's the idea of the first chapter is that a life of theopraxy, a life lived for God is one which is all in. It's, there's no, no reservation, there's nothing held back. And so just unpacks that concept. <clears throat> the second chapter is we have only one life to live. <clears throat> this talks about the, the stewardship of time, right? God gives us enough time to do everything he wants us to do. This is true whether we think of it in terms of any particular day all the way up to our entire life. There's time for what he intends for us to do and really nothing else. He doesn't give us time for things that he does not want us to do. <laughs> even if they're good things, even if they're wonderful things, but he doesn't intend any one of us to do everything because, yeah, read the whole chapter. <laughs> but of course, that includes rest, that includes recreation. God knows what we need, he designed us. And so it's not saying we need to be, you know, production oriented. The, the idea is we need to be listening to him for what he would have us to do, and that's what we need to do. And we don't need to be doing things that he's not asking us to do. So that's essentially the second chapter. The third chapter is called Knowing God is Our Primary Pursuit. So... Um, this is sort of one way to describe what discipleship is, in a sense, is it's our journey of coming to know God. So um, each of us has a limited conception of God because we are finite creatures, right? So all of us put God in a box because we cannot do otherwise. <laughs> We have finite minds, and so we cannot fully conceive of his infinite character. So, you know, height, width, depth, we've all got God in this box. <clears throat> and so a journey, a life of discipleship, in a sense, is one where we're continually enlarging or increasing the size of that box, making I mean, understanding the true width and height and depth. And so that is the topic of the third chapter. <clears throat> the fourth chapter is... God's kingdom is our compass. So helping us realize the importance and centrality of being focused on 
God on his desires, his design, his character, nature, purpose, will, ways. And, you know, that's related to that previous chapter of coming to know him. Um, and as we come to know him, we can better understand over time the the direction because as we understand his character and nature and will and ways and purposes and desires we can bring our lives more and more into concert with that into alignment with that um and this is a challenge that we all need to grow in because it's distracting having the visible world around us. There can always be a temptation or a tendency to begin looking at the visible world more than we should for our cues. So keeping our eyes fixed on the invisible world and recognizing really the upside down nature of the kingdom. There are so many aspects to living life as a disciple of Christ that are counterintuitive. You know, the last shall be first, the least shall be the greatest, etc. There are a whole range of aspects of the kingdom that seem absolutely upside down when viewed from a temporal perspective. And so this chapter addresses those issues. <clears throat> the next chapter in this first third of the book is our enemies are fear and pride. Now, obviously, this is this is oversimplified, but um, really, in a lot of ways, fear and pride are broad categories or families or tendencies you know, of, of sin that, you know, so it's not like, I'm not saying there's only two challenges, right. And character challenges or, or perspective challenges to following Christ, but saying that many um, of the potential temptations and challenges can be classified as related to either fear or pride. And I think, most people tend to have more trouble with one of those than the other, right? So personally, my inclinations are more toward the sins that are related to pride than those that are related to fear. Um, so anyway, I talk about those two issues. And really, in a lot of ways, um, if we succumb to fear, it's because our understanding of God is insufficient, right? Our God is too small. And that creates the temptations related to fear. So it's an insult to God. If we have a tendency to be tempted to pride, um, 
if anything, this is worse because we, in a sense, we're setting ourselves up as a competitor with God, <laughs> which, you know, is obviously crazy. So <clears throat> if the fear is thinking God is too small, the pride is, you know, seeing God as a competitor. And um, so I talk about those two types of uh, inadequate or inappropriate conceptions of God and what we can, you know, begin to do about that to address those in our lives. <clears throat> the last chapter in the first third is suffering as our pathway. So um, I point out in that chapter that um, suffering, hardships, persecution, you know, all of these things are tests for us so they can show, demonstrate to us and others and God where we are in terms of uh, our development and our understanding because of how we respond to them. It's also for, a tra for training us, um, you know, just as uh, exercise will physically increase our capacities. Um, so spiritual difficulties or, I mean, hardships, whatever, can grow us in our spiritual capacities. And that they're for our good and God's glory. There are so many passages in Scripture that talk about how we can um, grow or develop through difficulties. And many of those benefits are contingent upon our appropriate response to those difficulties. They don't automatically accrue to us. They're contingent. And so this begins to talk about how, how we can appropriately respond to these challenges in such a way that we do benefit and we do grow from them. So that includes the chapters about the individual aspects of theopraxy. So the second third of the book talks about the corporate aspects. The first of these talks about the concept of covenant and specifically the new covenant. So he, God, is the motivation for, you know, covenant and theopraxy and the source of power for it. And gratitude will result, you know, on our part, if we understand that. And the covenant, the new covenant, essentially lays out how we together are to play our part in God's kingdom. 
And so that chapter unpacks some of that. The second aspect is the new commandment. And of course, here referencing, you know, in John, the statements about the new commandment, love one another as Christ has loved us. And so this is the defining characteristic corporately. This is the defining characteristic of being part of God's kingdom. This is the, in a sense, the validating attribute of our relationships with one another. And so unpacking what that looks like, why it's so important, and how we can prioritize that. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. The third chapter in the corporate aspects section is listening to God together. In the first third, in some of the you know, earlier chapters, um, I addressed how important it is that we're constantly listening to God from an individual perspective. <clears throat> but listening to God corporately is equally important. And often, I think we don't pay as much attention to the corporate aspects. And often, when we do, um, what we're looking for is unanimity or agreement with what God as to what God is saying to us. And of course, if there's some kind of a, a binary decision that we need to make corporately, then that's, that's true. That's good. That is what we're looking for if it's a binary thing. But the vast majority of issues about which God might want to speak to us are not binary issues. You know, if we're thinking about direction, there are an infinite number of possibilities <laughs> as to direction. If we're talking, you know, there, there are so many, most decisions in life are not binary decisions. So the, it's, it's not um, realistic or probably even helpful to 
expect complete unanimity if 20 people are listening to God in regard to an issue that they hear exactly the same thing on these non-binary issues. It's just not helpful. It's analogous to how God gave gifts to us so that we can balance and complement and shore up others with our, our spiritual gifts so that together, you know, we can accomplish all that God intended because we have the advantages of the strengths of all of these different people and the insights of all of these different people, the perspectives of all of these different people. And similarly, God does not typically give all insight and all wisdom to one person for the same reason he doesn't give all gifts and abilities to one person. That is, uh, you know, not conducive to building the body because then the, the, the parts do not need each other. They, they, can't, they wouldn't, you know, necessarily respect others and so on, let alone, you know, what that does in terms of temptation to pride and so on. So this corporate listening talks about developing patterns where we all listen to the Lord and then express to one another what we're hearing and seek to integrate those insights and those perspectives into a whole and how this is a constant listen, integrate, listen, integrate, listen, integrate pattern or process. And so it talks to practicalities of that. The next chapter is the Trinity is our model for unity. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he talks about that we are supposed to be one as the Godhead is one. You know, as he's praying, he says, as we are one. That is a pretty amazing statement that as the body of Christ, we are to be one just as the Godhead is one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no doubt that being a disciple is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not like, you know, track and field. It's more like baseball or football or soccer, basketball. It's not like tennis or golf. You know, it's a team sport. And so the, you know, the same thing is true also at the corporate level as at the individual level where sacrifice is our framework or our our default. And so many times in in the kingdom, while we recognize, yes, we need to be prepared to sacrifice ourselves, our lives for the sake of the kingdom, 
The same thing needs to be true corporately. The survival or prosperity of a given church or agency or institution, et cetera, is not necessarily what's best for the kingdom. It could be that God will ask sacrifices of a given church or agency or, you know, even denomination for the sake of the kingdom. So um, this, um, this chapter starts to address some of those issues of unity and corporate identity um, and what that means in terms of discipleship. The next chapter is God is our model for communication. So uh, I don't even know how to summarize that chapter, but just to say that I take a little bit of a historical perspective of how over time technology has shaped how people perceive um, how people perceive the nature of communication and how they deal with communication and how this has caused us to to veer away from some of God's standards of communication. When God communicates, he does it at a personal and corporate level. He does it in a way that's impactful, a way that's authoritative, and so on. And so then I I contrast this with some of our patterns that we've developed related to communication. And the bottom line, I guess, that that chapter comes to is that when we're thinking in terms of evangelism, we, we do need to accommodate to some of those patterns, understand those patterns that people are familiar with in order that we can communicate in a way that they will understand. But when it comes to disciple making, Once people come to Christ, it's not a matter of accommodating the patterns of communication that are familiar to the world, but remediating, helping reestablish God's standards and approaches to communication. And so that's the last chapter of the second third of the book on the corporate aspects of theopraxy. The final chapters are related to specific concepts and tools that enable us to grow into this kind of disciple and to make this kind of disciple. So the first first chapter in that section is just called Christ is both Savior and Lord. And so it talks about some perspective issues related to that. And among other things, it unpacks um, some passages such as Luke 14, 25 to 35, which 
in which Jesus lays out his expectations for disciples to, you know, to follow him means he is held as far more important than all earthly relationships, more than our life itself, you know, so that we need to be ready to die any day and every day for him, that everything we own is his, and that we need to recognize all of that as we choose to follow him. And that if we don't follow him in that way, that we are worthless as a disciple, that we're not a real disciple if we're not following him in that way. And so that is the sort of first chapter in this section. The second may sound a little little, um, similar, but just in case, (laughs) it's called God has our exclusive allegiance. So um, here, making sure that it's clear, not just that Jesus is our highest commitment or authority, but in many senses, he is the only, right? Hence the, you know, the title, the only one. And um, so it just unpacks that and that he is the defining theme of every aspect of life. So it's not as if we have our spiritual life here and, you know, other aspects of our life here or our relationship with God, our relationship with self, our relationship with others, etc. All of the, you know, any other relationship, any other priority is through, viewed through how God sees it, what God desires for that, and so on. So it unpacks that a bit more. Again, a perspective chapter. The next chapter is called Three-Thirds, A Pattern for Faithful Living. So in that chapter, we, the, the three-thirds that it refers to are, uh, in a sense, three aspects. Look back, look up, look forward. So look back is evaluation. Look up is getting new insight from the Lord. Look forward is how we will apply and pass on what we're hearing from God. And so then it goes back and we evaluate how we did in applying. You know, we look back again. How did we do in applying and passing on what God showed us? And then, you know, making any adjustments. And then again, hearing more from him in the look up. And then the look forward. How will we apply and pass on? So this kind of a pattern. So you can think of this sort of like spiritual breathing. So when the look up portion would be breathing in, we're getting input from God from whatever source, whether it's from prayer, whether it's from scripture, whether it's from 
our interaction with other parts of the body and so on, breathing in. And then the breathing out would be the look forward and the look back, right? So we get the insights, breathe in, and we apply the, the insights, breathe out, and then the evaluation and so on. Or you can look at it as a three-legged stool, right? So there's knowledge, there's application, and there's passing on to others. And if any one of those legs is significantly shorter than the others, the stool is useless. We're not being faithful disciples. We're not fully living out our faith as we need to. You know, if you're short on the living it out, we call that hypocrisy. If you're short on, you know, passing it on to others, you know, then you're selfish, you know, a selfish believer. If you're short on the knowledge part, well, we call that, you know, heresy, <laughs> whatever. So there, there are, it's essential that we have all three parts of this in view regularly in every aspect. So that, that chapter unpacks that. The next chapter is called Living Accountable Lives. And so uh, it introduces some other um, patterns or tools that can help us have regularly accountable lives. And this is both at the personal level in our interactions with, you know, the Lord and at the corporate level. And it talks about both short-term specific accountability and long-term broad accountability and some different tools and structures that we can incorporate into our lives in order to make sure these are in place. The next chapter is called Growing in Prayer. Um, so this addresses a number of aspects. Um, for one, it talks about how helpful of a tool prayer walking is. And this is true in multiple respects, but among others, helping us develop a sensitivity and awareness of living in God's presence and receiving God's guidance and communing with God on a constant basis. Prayer walking is a great tool to help us develop that and grow in that. There are other great things that prayer walking can do related to, you know, our evangelistic efforts and, and so on. Um, so this talks some about that. It reemphasizes the idea that um, prayer is not only us speaking to God, but also us listening to God. And so it um, reemphasizes that and talks about the importance of that. Then it introduces um, what's often called prayer wheel or prayer cycle, just as a tool to help 
people begin to appreciate the various aspects or types of prayer. And then there's different uses of prayer also, which is um, independent from those types of prayer. Um, so, for example, you know, we can use prayer to teach others. We see Jesus doing that at Lazarus' tomb, right? He says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those who are here listening. And so he's teaching about the character and nature of God by how he's praying and so on. So that chapter is about various aspects for growing in prayer. Um, and then the last chapter of this section is training disciples to make disciples. So um, in many ways, this is the most technical or, um, yeah, maybe the most technical or complex um, chapter as it deals with some practical aspects of how we can grow in our ability to see generational disciple-making take place. You know, going through the, you know, model and then assist and then watch and then leave. And what are appropriate behaviors and postures and attitudes and practices during each of these different aspects and how we can help develop others in their ability to, you know, go through this process in ways that are, are helpful. And so it'll, it also introduces some specific tools like um, coaching checklists and things like that that are very um, adaptable for, you know, a wide variety of circumstances and how we can um, use this type of training cycle approach to see generational growth in very specific, narrow, or broad ways. Um, so this chapter works through some of those type of um, skills and issues. Um, then there are some additional resources, and then there are some appendices. Um, the one appendix um, that I think is the most important of the appendices is on prayers, just sample prayers that are related to this type of a life or this, you know, kind of a disciple-making focus. And um, so it's divided. I think there are a total of, I'm thinking, 60 um, prayers. So you can um, use them even periodically for um, as just part of your personal reflection time that you're spending with the Lord to read through a couple of those every day. Um, and they help, you know, help in a sense bring into view the type of issues that the book addresses. And so um, a lot of people have found that appendix in particular to be helpful. 
So again, you can get the ebook for free at the only the excuse me the only one book.com. Um, William Carey Publishing is the publisher. Of course, you can get it on Amazon. The only one by Curtis Sargent. I hope you enjoy it and you find it helpful for yourself and for those that you are serving and um, disciples you're seeking to make. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much, Curtis, for sharing your heart behind your book. And if you would like to go purchase a book, you can go to Amazon to get it, The Only One, or you can go to theonlyonebook.com and you'll get a code to download a free ebook version of that book. All right, make sure you mark your calendars. It's coming up really soon, November 4th and 5th, the National Disciple Making Forum. Go to discipleship.org, use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to receive 50% off that ticket purchase. And I really hope to see you there. All right, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Uh